The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Before the summer, we talked about that this could be the summer of a lifetime, that hopefully this summer, there was a little bit more than going to Disneyland and getting a t-shirt. Hopefully, it was more than going to the beach and getting some pictures. Hopefully, God used you in some profound way as a, as a world changer. So hopefully, you saw the hand of God in your life this summer. And if you haven't, it's not too late. Pray for God to move in your life and to give you divine appointments with people, places, and times where literally you'll see the living God among you. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, one place where I see God's work so clearly is uh, when you look up at the sky at nighttime. Uh, some of us from the church went on up to family camp recently, up to Mount Hermon. And at nighttime, the sky is absolutely amazing. And when you look at the sky at night, it is so obvious the power of God, his creativity, his handiwork, the heavens declare his glory, the Bible says. Well, I don't know if you've been following the news, but they sent out a spaceship a while ago. I think we have a picture of it right here. Uh, They sent out a spaceship, and um, that spaceship is called uh, the uh, Rosetta. And they sent this thing out over 10 years ago, traveling at 34,000 miles per hour. It passed Mars, sent out a bunch of cool pictures, and then it finally, its mission was to land on a comet. No one ever landed on a comet before. To catch up to this comet, it had to go 34,000 miles an hour. And then finally, it sent down this little lander thing. You see that little thing in the corner? It's the size of like a dishwasher. It actually went down to the planet to land, to, to kind of take samples. But when it hit the icy surface, it kind of slid, and it kind of shut down. And no one heard anything from it. And you got hundreds of people, you know, waiting for a signal, and there is no signal for a really long time. Finally, after five months, it lights up and says, hello, earth, can you hear me? After five months, everybody was celebrating. The thing is alive, it's talking. I don't know about you, it reminds me of that movie Gravity, where they're drifting and drifting and losing connection. Some of you that might be a little bit more old school, remember ground control to major Tom. You guys know that? How many of you guys know that one? Ground control, where, where, where there's a disconnect with the communication from ground control, which is doing their job, to communicate. The good news for us with our relationship with God is nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, nothing. Nothing can separate us. He will never leave or forsake us. But I do have a strong sense that we are oftentimes like ground control, That as ground control, God is speaking to us loud and clear, not from a far off distant place. The Bible says God is near. God is near to those who call on him. God is, don't have the idea that God is out there somewhere so far removed in another universe. No, God is near and the kingdom of God is near and he's present and and we got to listen sometimes, but I do have a sense that we are kind of like ground control and God is speaking And sometimes we're not listening to God. Um, I believe what God would want to say to us today as we look in 1 Peter 5, I think God wants some of you to know, hey, 
there are a lot of things in this world that you're worried about, that you're concerned about. God would want you to know, I got it. I got it. I have it covered. Don't worry about it. Don't flip out. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't try to handle it all. Don't try to control it. The living God, I believe, that he's speaking down to ground control if we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, is I have it. But I believe he's saying there is something that I want you to control as ground control. As ground control, we need to start with ground zero right here. We need to start with ground control and have self-control. And I believe what we're gonna see in this passage today, that if you and I will have self-control, God will handle all this other stuff So many other things that we're worried about, concerned about, legitimate things, but worries, doubts, concern, fears, all the above, God would say, if you would take care of ground control right here, self-control, I'm gonna handle all this other stuff. If you will take care of self-control, I will bless you and the devil will have no place to get into your life. This is what we're gonna find today. However, if we don't take care of self-control, ground control right here. The Bible says that God cannot bless us and the devil will find a way in. This is what this passage is gonna, is gonna tell us. So if you have your Bibles, we're going through this series on 1 Peter. Uh, we're in chapter five today. We're finishing this book. It's been awesome. Uh, Scott taught last week with a great message. It's online if you wanna check it out. And uh, we're, we're calling this series an engage series because these are all aspects of God's life, God's kingdom for God's people where we engage with God. We engage in his love, his will, his order. There's a lot of things we, we've been looking at and today we're looking at engaging self-control. And so uh, I'm gonna look at this in sections. So if you wanna follow along starting in verse one, um, he starts talking to the leaders in the church and he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. So he starts out here starting with the leaders. And the reason he's doing this is because there's a lot of things that God calls his leaders to. And in Israel's history, when there were godly leaders, the nation was blessed. And when the leaders or the kings or the priests would would get off base, we would see fallout from that. So the leaders is where uh, Peter is beginning this letter as God's revealing the priorities to him. And, And he's telling them that, The leaders in the church, uh, the elders, the shepherds, the overseers, these are the terms that are being used, are to be shepherds, examples uh, to God's flock, and that's because they're called to a a higher standard. Uh, The Bible says that those who are teachers and leaders will be called to a higher standard. So at the end, when we stand before God, the leaders in the church are going to be held to a higher standard. Uh, and, and that you know, gives me the fear of the Lord in a, in, a, in a good way because there is a higher standard and anyone in church leadership needs to know that. But it says that we're called to serve and a lot of this has to do with our attitude. It says that we're called to serve not because we must, but because we are willing. <clears throat> so much of the kingdom of God, for anyone that's involved in leadership, if you're leading a ministry, 
Uh, but this applies as a Christian to any area of your life that you're in. If you're leading a business or you're the crew leader on a job or whatever it might be, these are kingdom principles. We have to look at God's perspective of serving, not because we must, but because we are willing. Getting to serve God is not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. It's not something we have to do, something we get to do. It's a profound privilege. And when we look back at heaven, when we look back at the tape, we're gonna go like that. Those were the coolest parts of life that mattered more than anything. And so I just wanna encourage you, I don't know where your heart is with serving God, but I would encourage you, God's heart for us is to understand that the attitude ought to be that we get the opportunity to serve, not that we have to do it because the attitudes matter so much. He talks about not greedy for money. Um, the Bible says that a worker is due his wage, talking about those in ministry. So we see that compensation is biblical, but greed is never biblical. And the Bible has a lot to say with greed. Money is not the root of all evil, the love of it, the lust of it. So anybody serving in any way, when money becomes elevated to this need or desire. That's when everything gets skewed. The Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon, which was the money God referred to in the first century times. You, you can't, you'll either love one and hate the other or hate the other. So, so God's got to be first and, and there's no place for greed. In fact, I would say this is a good way to determine uh, the difference between somebody with a calling on their life and somebody who is a hireling. Jesus refers to the term hireling uh, when he talked about a shepherd watching the flock, that a real shepherd will guard the flock and stay with the flock and, and deal with a wolf and a hireling runs off. You remember Jesus sharing that story? Um, the difference between a, a calling and a hireling, a calling is you have to do it no matter what because God put it in you. The way you serve, the way you love God, the way you pour your life out, whether it's teaching a Bible study or doing evangelism or you know, if God gives you words of wisdom, prophecy, you, you function in these because God put them in you. You have to do them. A hireling, on the other hand, only does things if they're paid. Only does things if they're paid. And I think that's very revealing, whether hireling or calling. But it, it says the attitude needs to be not lording over those he entrusts you. So if you're leading a ministry, you have people in your care that God entrusts you with, it means not domineering. And so you can't be controlling, domineering, lording over. This is God's heart for his people. And what happens, I think, sometimes is when pride creeps in to anyone in leadership, you could be a boss on a job, maybe even in your home, when pride creeps in, people tend to start lording over people. Does that make sense? On the job or in the home or in the classroom or whatever it might be, not understand that God placed you in a position where he entrusted you with lives and formation and spiritual formation. Um, and so uh, we gotta be careful of that because there is no place for pride in any Christian ministry. There's no place for pride. There is zero place for pride. And it's such a big deal. He's talking about this right out of the gate. It's gonna come up again in the passage. But we gotta remember the devil himself, Lucifer was his name, light bearer was in heaven in a place, uh, when we look at the passages, Isaiah, Ezekiel, it gives this description, puts him in a place where he is near God, reflecting maybe God's glory, his name Lucifer, light bearer, we don't get the, the detail, the minutia of it, but he's in this place where he's um, close to God's presence, and it says pride was found in him, 
and he was immediately cast down. Says that, and Jesus says that. Immediately cast down because of, of pride. So if you're a note taker this morning on engaging, um, engaging this aspect of, of God's life, um, self-control maintains a heart of humility. If you want to engage self-control in your life, self-control has to maintain a heart of humility, number one. That's the most important thing. I'll be honest with you, when people start to lose the heart of humility and pride starts to rise up, everything about their self-control starts to take on a different shape. I want this, I deserve that, and how dare they? Everything about their self-control begins to morph and change when there's not humility, when pride starts to rise up. It starts to steer the bus. It starts to take things in a whole new direction. I can't believe it, or how dare they, or I'm not putting up with that, or you know, all sorts of things start to manifest in the actions on how we take care of ground control or our own self-control. So self-control maintains a heart of humility. Uh, it moves on in verse five, and it says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility, toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. You might want to underline in your Bible under God's mighty hand because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and when you understand that it's all happening under God's mighty hand, you need to know everything is happening under God's mighty hand. God's not removed from the equation. He's not removed from your life. The mighty hand of God is, is ever present. And this is um, saying that under God's mighty hand, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Um, he opposes the proud, which means he stands against pride. He holds back pride and he, and he has consequences for pride. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The word for grace is used interchangeably with he gives favor to people that are humble. He gives gifts to people that are humble and he gives blessings to people that are humble. And this is important to know about the kingdom of God and how it works because in the world's economy, everything we do is work harder, make a way yourself, be heard, step forward, right? This is how it works to get promoted, to be seen, to outperform. This is the world's economy. But in God's economy, it's different. God's looking for humility. God looks at the character above the gift. Sometimes on the secular world, we look at the gift and not the character. But God looks at the character above the gift. He wants the character to exceed the gift. And in this case, humility is, is a really important thing. God opposes the proud, but gives favor, gifts, blessing, grace to uh, the humble. And the context of this is, is submitting, you and I submitting. We talked about this uh, a few weeks back when we looked at God's order. Um, submitting to those who are older, Submitting to those who are older. That is something that has really been lost in our culture. Many Asian cultures have a profound respect for those who are older. They, there's, a, there's a great appreciation and a, and a respect for those who are older. It's beautiful to see that in, in Asian homes. I remember that in America many years ago. I remember people holding doors open for older people all the time. Um, I don't really see that anymore, and I... I doubt that you see a lot of it either. This real, true respect for those who are older for age because God in his order is saying, I want you to respect and we all need to learn mutual submission. We don't like the word, but we have to understand God is a God of order and there is this thing we need to respect. The Bible says to give honor where honor is due. 
That's what we're called to do. Give honor where honor is due. That's Romans 13, 7. So let me ask you this, since this is so important. How are you doing with giving honor? Think about that this morning. How are you doing with giving honor? Think of those in your life where you should give honor to where honor is due, the word says, because we're supposed to submit to God's order in these kind of ways and there's a blessability in our humility. Think about that in your own life. Are you giving honor where you should give honor to who you should give honor? It's a, it's a valid question because Peter is laying this out there for us right there. I, I believe God is calling us to redeem the culture of honor a culture of honor where honor is paid and people are recognized and appreciated and honored, not elevated and lifted up. God lifts up, but we need to honor, give honor where honor is due, and that's really important. Um, it also goes on to talk about humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been humbled both ways. <laughs> I've had God humble me and I've had other times I've humbled myself. Can I get a show of hands? Does that happen? Anybody in the room? Okay, you can humble yourself or you can have God humble you. If you have the choice, the wise decision is what? Humble yourself. When you humble yourself, it is so much easier, the process. It takes humility and you pass the test and God will graduate you to greater things. If you don't, God loves you too much to leave you where you're at. He disciplines those he loves. Remember, he opposes the proud. Isn't that what it said? He opposes the proud. He loves you, but the way that we're walking in, if we're walking in pride, or it, he's like, I love you, but I'm sorry, I have to oppose that. I love you too much. I can't, that's not blessable. And so we can either humble ourselves or God humbles us. And this is saying, to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And this is what it says, that God will lift you up. God will promote you. Again, the world has its economy on how it functions and how it operates. God has his own economy on how he works. Things work in the spiritual realm. And this is saying that if we humble ourselves before God, then he himself, God Almighty, will open a door, he will make a way, and he will lift you up. God himself will promote you. If you and I are faithful with little things, he will let you and I be faithful with greater things. That is so cool to me because that's something the world doesn't always recognize or see or have a place for, but God says, I do. I'm watching you, and if you're humble, if you humble yourself, I will lift you up. Now, some of you might be asking, when? When is God gonna lift me up? Because I've been humble for a long time. You may feel like you've been going through a journey and you've been down for a while and you're, and you're being humble and the question is when. The calling of God and the timing of God are two completely different things. Many people get a grasp at the sense of calling on their life, but even the most spiritual people I've found have a hard time grasping the timing of the living God. No one knows the days or the hours God makes everything beautiful in its time. God makes them beautiful in its time. And we don't understand seasons the way a God does. So pray and be in the spirit. We'll be a little closer to discerning. But it says, how long do we need to be humbled and passing a test before God brings us to this next place of victory or this next place of promotion? God's answer, <laughs> in due time, in due time, humble yourself in God's presence and he will lift you up when? 
in due time. Everyone say in due time. In due time. In due time, God will lift you up. And that's important because if you don't know that, you might get frustrated and you might get a little overwhelmed. I've been in this for a long time. How long is this going to last? And God is saying, humble yourself in my sight. I see you. I'm watching you. I love you. I have you. You are under my mighty hand, God is saying. And since you're under my mighty hand, it's going to be okay. In due time, I will lift you up. A, A good example of that is King David when he was a little boy, humble little boy, playing his harp, writing worship music. He was, uh, stopping the bear and the lion from attacking the sheep. God looked down and said, that boy is a humble little shepherd. I love his heart. If he can shepherd sheep like that, I'm going to have him shepherding my people. But a little bit later, David fights a giant and takes him out, kills the giant, and everyone's cheering, bravo, rah, rah, David. We don't know exactly what was going on in David's heart at that point in time, but we do know God had to have a long, humbling experience in David's life between the time he killed the giant and by the time he actually served as king. He had quite a bit of consequence, things to go through. And I think it's because God had to still work some things out in here. But God would say, in due time, in due time, I will lift you up. This verse is really powerful today. It might be, I believe it is a word for some of you today, uh, that this is why you're here. Whether you know it or not, God wants to speak this to you. But verse seven, you might want to underline it in your Bible. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Anxiety has a way of robbing us of all of God's joy. All the joy that God has for us that we are called to walk in and that we can walk in gets robbed through anxiety. It's been said that anxiety drags yesterday's problems into our present and it drags tomorrow's years into today. You pull all of that into today, anxiety. And the Bible is saying that God loves us too much under his mighty hand. He loves us far too much to see us weighed down with anxiety. And some of you here today, you came with an anxiety in your heart. You have a weight, you have a burden, and it's something out of your control. There's something in your life that is beyond your personal control. And God would say, listen, your ground control I got this. You don't have to figure this out, crack the code, or get this handled. Cast your anxiety upon me. And so this is really important because some of us are carrying things that God didn't intend for you to carry. As ground control, we handle the ground things right here with ground zero. And God's like, I got all this other stuff. And God's not asking you or I to carry all this stuff. Yesterday's problems, next week's problems, next to drag them all into our day. God's like, I didn't design you for that. Jesus even said, why worry about tomorrow, right? Tomorrow's got, he's like, don't, don't live your life worried about tomorrow and dragging yesterday's fears and problems into today. God loves you too much to see you weighed down. He says, here, let me lighten your load. I'll take those. But you got to choose to give them to God because the Greek word here says to cast, cast your anxieties upon him. Cast is literally where we get our term. If you ever go fishing, how many of you guys ever been fishing before? Okay, you know, I mean, the, old, the simple way when you, you just drop the hook and it, it kind of goes down. But the right way, once you kind of figure it out a little bit, you, you figure where you're going to go with this thing and you throw it. You let go of the wheel and you 
You throw it. And all of a sudden it goes 20, 30, 50 feet, 100 feet, whatever it goes, depending on how you got it baited with weight. And you, you throw it. You get intentional. You aim and you release and you throw it. That's what the word is saying with your anxiety. Don't just kind of take your anxiety and go, I hope it goes away. The Bible's saying, cast it on me. Throw it at me. The Lord is saying, bring it. I died for it all. Bring it. I love you too much to see you weighed down. Bring it. Throw it at me. Give it to me. I don't know if you think of your anxieties that way, but the Lord is telling you this morning to cast them. Cast them at me, God would say. I will take those for you. You aren't designed to carry those. It's robbing you of your past. It's robbing you of your future. It's robbing you of your present because you're carrying a load that I never gave you. Second point this morning, and it's, it's, a, it's a word for some of you today because I, I really get a strong sense in the spirit that this area is robbing you and it's not the heart of God for you to be robbed in this area. God came, Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly, not to be robbed of our presence. Second point is cast your cares upon the Lord and be anxious for nothing. Cast your cares, cast your anxiety. Live for today, trusting the sovereign power of God that you are living under his mighty hand and no weapon formed against you will prosper because you are living under God Almighty's hand. God's like, I got all that stuff. You just handle ground control. You just handle self-control. Does that make sense, guys? That's the heart of God. When we do this, our problems become God's problems. When we do this. What we think are our problems becomes God's problems. And the cool thing about this, how many of you know that God doesn't have any problems? Do you know God doesn't have any problems? God's not worried about a single thing up there. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh my goodness, I didn't realize that the job was going to get rough down there. Wow, what are we, we going to do about the payment? Oh my goodness. What are we going to do? God doesn't have a problem. When we cast our anxieties upon him, he cares for us. Doesn't mean he doesn't have cares God loves us, he has cares, but God's not worried. God doesn't have a problem he can't figure out. God, there's nothing that can get by the hand of God in his powerful sovereignty. He's not worried about him, no, nothing's a problem for God. And by the way, it's a command, not a suggestion. Cast your anxieties on God. It's not like, hey, think about it, good idea. The word's saying, hey, believers, do it. Take your anxiety, whatever's weighing you down, throw it at Jesus. Jesus is like, I'm, I'm good with that. Bring it my way, it's awesome. Uh, Verse eight says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory In Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So Peter is writing this, and you have to remember, this is something very close to Peter's heart. Because Peter has personal experience. I would suggest when you and I have personal experience with something, it becomes part of our, our life. It becomes part of our formation. Some of you have been through certain trials, You've been through certain temptations. You've been through certain um, setbacks and God brought you through them. But because you have that experience, it has shaped you. It has shaped you differently. 
whatever that trial, whatever that struggle might have been, whatever you went through, whether it was, a, whether it was something that you discerned a, a, from, from the devil in the sense of a, of a temptation or a, or, or a sin or just a burden in life that you had to carry or whatever you went through, maybe it was an upbringing as a child, whatever God brought you through, that shaped you in a way that is unique to you. Peter is very familiar with what he's talking about because Peter lived what he's talking about right here. Um, he experienced this and it affected him deeply. You don't have to turn there, but in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, I just want to remind you what this Peter, this author is saying. Um, Jesus said to Peter, turn around and looked at him one day. You guys are familiar with this passage. Simon, Simon, which is Peter's name. Satan has asked to sift you all as if you were wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, this is Peter, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you would deny me three times that you even know me. And if you remember the gospel accounts, that's exactly what happened. Peter's like, not me, Lord, I'm good. Me and you, we're tight. We're good. Me and you, nothing's getting between us, Lord. Jesus is like, Peter, you don't know. Temptation is real, Peter. You're not clocking it. You're not seeing it. You're not discerning it. The devil's trying to shake you up and sift you out. By the way, that word sift is where you take the wheat and you put it in a, in, in, in a tray with holes on the bottom. You bang it on the side. You keep banging it. And as you're smacking it, the, the kernels knock off. You, know, you, you, you have a filter on the bottom opening and what needs to fall out and what you have is the wheat left behind. He wanted to shake him, shake his soul like wheat, so to speak. And Jesus is saying, and, and, well, in the story, what had happened is Peter ended up getting shaken up. And when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he asked the apostles, guys, can you be watchful and prayerful, please? And what were they doing? Just sleeping. And Jesus comes back and says, guys, please, this is an important time. This is a time you guys need to fully understand what's going on in the world around you. This is not a time to be sleeping. And the apostles, comes back a third time, guys, please, I ask you to be prayerful and watchful and alert. Things are going down right now. You need to be fully observant of. They fall asleep. And then after this, Peter denies Jesus three times. Now, the beauty is this. When Jesus rose from the dead, one of the first objectives Jesus had, where is Peter? I'm finding him. I'm calling him out. I love him too much. He feels beat up. He feels rejected. He feels like he failed. He needs to know that I love him. I love him so much, I'm restoring him. I'm putting him back where he was, and I want him to know my love for him. So Peter, who denied Jesus, was restored. Those are both absolutely amazing. But Jesus told him this, after you've turned back, Peter, after you've been through this experience, after the devil shook you up and you went through a a hard time, after you turn back, after you come back from your fall from grace, I want you to know something very important that your experience matters. I want you to take it and go strengthen somebody with it. Take that story, that thing you just went through, that mess you just went through, don't bury it. Take it and go make someone else stronger with it. Because there's people that need to hear that story and if they don't hear your story, they're thinking about quitting. Think of thinking about pulling over. And that's why Jesus said, I prayed for you, but after you go through this trial, go back and strengthen your brothers. Ladies, go back 
and strengthen your sisters. Why? Because that's your story. That's your God story. The devil wanted to sift you. You slipped. Jesus says, I restored. Now go share the story. And it is so powerful because Revelation says how we defeated the devil. We overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That story is so important that Jesus is telling Peter, I know you went through it and I know you didn't enjoy it and you probably don't even like telling the story, but guess what? You got through it and I restored you. That's a story worth telling that God will never leave or forsake you, right? God is near. So Peter now is taking that story and going around and sharing with others. So Peter knows what it's like for the devil to go around looking for someone to devour because Peter got knocked right off his feet before. And now he's writing this later on in the fullness of the Holy Spirit says, guys, let me tell you something that so you don't get taken out the way I did. The enemy does go around. He's called our enemy. We don't want to hyper-spiritualize, but we don't want to under-spiritualize either. The The Bible calls the devil our enemy and he goes around seeking to devour, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And so because that's the case, this is telling us that we have to stand, resist, resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resisting is your self-control. Your ability as ground control, your ability to go, "Mm, that's not who I am, I'm not doing that. Or, "Mm, nope, I'm not going to go there. God's not going to do that for you. That's what you have to do. That's what I have to do. God's like, I got all this other stuff covered. Don't worry about it. I got all of this stuff covered. But when it comes your way, can you own that? Can you own these things? Can you walk with me in these things? Can you not get shaken when he comes? Resist him. The Bible says stand your ground. In other words, don't let him blow you off track because he will try to push you off track and blow you around here and there. You just stand. You just get your position, you stand and go, nope, I'm standing. I am a blood-bought son or daughter of the most high God. I know whose I am and no, that's not what I do and that's not the way I roll. I am God's child. And you stand and you resist him and you know what the devil goes? Oh, it's not working. And he has to leave. Resist the devil and he will flee, flee. The devil can't be everywhere all the time with every, but he's a fallen angel. He's got assigned demons. They've got limited capacities. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So when this attack comes, this assault, we stand. We hold our ground. We stand. We don't be shaken. Um, Jesus modeled that really well when he was tempted by the devil himself. After he was baptized, he was up on the mountain. And every time the devil came at him with the best three things that he could offer, and he tried to throw everything at Jesus, he could trick him every kind of way, distort everything, throw him visions of gifts and blessed things that he can try to give him in the world. I can hand you some of these riches. I could do this. Jesus stood and said, it is written. It is written. It is written. The devil's like, oh, says the devil left for a more opportune time. This isn't working. Because if you are standing in the word, the devil has zero place in your life. Zero place in your life. If we have self-control and we're standing in the word, the devil has zero place place in your life. Resist him and he will flee. Not he might flee or he could flee. He will flee. So the third point this morning is to to be self-controlled and alert to recognize and resist the devil. Alert. 
to recognize and to resist the devil. Some people have no idea when things are going on because they're sleeping like Peter. And we have to be, we're living in times where we're not, it's time not to be sleeping. We're gonna be doing this 24-hour prayer and fast. Please come down, pick an hour, join us, whatever works for you. That's why we're doing 24 hours around the clock. There's a place for everybody. You can only come for one hour at 10 o'clock at night. That's great. You wanna come at two in the morning, four in the morning, you wanna come at noon. That's great. Whenever it is, we're jumping in as a church. We are trusting God that he wants to move in our city. We want to partner with God in greater things. There's a lot of people that need Jesus in this city. And I believe the spirit of God is waking people up to that call. We have to be self-controlled, alert to recognize and to resist the devil. And so the last thing I just want to share, and this would be good as the worship team comes up. Um, he, he talks about undergoing pain and suffering. And he's talking to believers. And... Some of you have undergone, maybe right now, you're going through some pain, some suffering. Can I tell you, we'll always have tribulation. We will always have some kind of pain, suffering. There's seasons of nothing's going on, and then there's seasons there's other things going on. We don't control that stuff. Um, But I would say that our attitude, our attitude with the pain and suffering, suffering matters a whole lot, our attitude. Our attitude... There's two ways we can do this, guys, as children of God. When you and I go through a trial, we go through suffering. One thing we can do is we can tighten our hands and get mad, clench our fists and go, why me? Or we can open them up and say, God, I don't get it, but I'm under your mighty hand and I open my hands up to you. Does that make sense? This is self-control. It's our choice, guys, what we want to do. I would suggest to you there's two completely different outcomes depending on what you and I do with our pain. Um, I would suggest that only surrendered pain has any value. Only pain that is surrendered has value. If you take your pain that you're going through, your trial, and you clench your fist and you just get mad and you look down and go, I'm just gonna hold on as long as I can to get through this, Er, why me? That's going to have no value in your life, in your formation, or in anybody else's life. But if you take your pain, your suffering, your trial, and you turn your hands upward towards God, I don't understand it. I don't have to. You're on the throne, God. I cast my cares upon you, and I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to trust that you're going to come through. When you do that, there is profound value in your pain and your suffering. It's not wasted suffering. I believe sometimes we go through pain and and suffering that could have had value, that ended up being completely wasted because of our attitude in dealing with it, holding on to it instead of surrendering it uh, to God. I would suggest to you this morning, don't waste your suffering. If you have suffering you're going through in any kind of way, a burden, something, you're like, oh, why, how long? Listen, don't waste it. Turn it to God. Turn it to God. Consider it pure joy when you go through trials of many kinds. Turn it to God. Like like Peter, uh, Paul, who's writing Philippians, he's in a jail, locked to some, you know, big old Roman guard, and he's like, this is lame in the natural, but he's singing praise songs, and you're like, where does that come from? He's like, I've learned how to consider it joy in everything. I've learned how, and the learning how is what we're talking about here. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your suffering. Turn it to God. Get the full benefit out of it, because the Bible says the weight of his glory far exceeds the weight of our trial. The weight of the future glory, this is saying, far outweighs the weight of our current trial. 
And so the last verse I just want to say, we're going to close in prayers. First Peter 5.10 says this, after you have suffered a while, after you've been through it, after you've gone through this thing like Peter did, he had to go through this trial, this setback, this, this struggle, and it, and, and it was painful and it hurt. After you have, it says in 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, God will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Some translations say after you suffered, God is going to restore you. He's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you. And he's going to settle you. In other words, after we go through the trial, if we do it God's way, if we surrender the pain, God will make you better and stronger than you ever were before. God will make you unshakable. And when you read a guy like what Peter's writing and Paul, you go, how do these guys end up this way? They've been through some stuff. They've been through some pain. And I never used to quantify it or you know, figure it out this way, but I realize sometimes I hear messages from, from other pastors or podcasts and some of the ones that hit me the hardest are people that have actually lived some pain in their life. They've been through some stuff. They've been through some loss. And God did something in the formation through that. Through that pain, there's pain in the offering, right? It, through that pain, that process, that forging, that uncomfortable seasons of life, through that, they did in fact come out on the other side restored, established, strengthened, settled, even in their identity. So I just would encourage you guys, after you suffer or when you're going through it, no, it's not just a saying, it's a promise of God. He will, if you, if you surrender your pain to him and you don't hold on to it, if you let your pain have a benefit, let it have value, God will bless you, he will restore you, he will make you stronger, he will settle you in a way that is that is a God-given identity. He'll establish you in things. He'll grow you. He'll mature you. He will advance you. If you humble yourself in your, his sight, he will lift you up. This is, this is the heart of God. So I just want to close in prayer. The letter just closes out saying, thank you, Silas, for your help and be encouraging to one another and stand strong in the word. If you stand strong in the word, nothing's going to shake you. And this is how he wraps up First Peter. But I want to, want to close in prayer right now. Ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. And so uh, please join me. Mighty God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it, Lord. I just pray, God, that um, we would be people that would choose to humble ourselves in your sight because you will lift us up, God. I pray that we would choose to surrender our pain to you, God, that there would be value in the pain, God. There will be growth in the process, the trials, God, that on the other side, you process uh, you promise that you will raise us up, God. You promise that you will, um, Lord, restore. You will establish. You will make us steadfast. We will be unshakable men and women of God. And that's ultimately what we want, Lord. And Lord, this area of anxiety, I just want to pray for the room right now. If you have any area of your life that you know is a weight, a burden, and it's more than you can handle because you can't personally fix it, you need God to fix it. Why don't you stand with me right now? We're gonna just give some anxieties to the Lord this morning and walk out of here without anxieties in the name of Jesus. So just stand with me. If you have a burden, anxiety, um, a, a problem that is bigger than you that you can't handle and you need God's help, just, just stand with me right now and lift your hands up symbolically with that problem in your hand, the thing you're anxious about, the thing you can't figure out, the thing you can't get a grip on, the thing you can't, figure out or get made right. It's beyond us. God, we just take these anxieties right now and we just want to be doers of your word that trust that you are a God of love, 
And we just take them right now and just symbolically just throw them to Jesus. Lord, we take these and we just throw them to you. We cast these things to you, God. Thank you that you are such a loving God that you actually ask us to cast them. You're not upset. You're not worried. You actually want us to walk in a freedom and a trust in you. So Lord, I pray for those anxieties. I pray the things that we give you right now, we don't turn around and pick them back up, that we don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough problems of its own. We will walk in today. We will walk in the spirit now, knowing that as we get closer and closer to you, walking with you and walking in the spirit, that really, God, this self-control will be a natural outflow and a fruit of the spirit if we walk closer and closer and closer to you. But when we drift away from you, God, self-control seems to just disappear because we need your help in this area. So God, I just pray that we would walk in levels of self-control. We would engage self-control according to your word, according to your spirit, that we would live as more than conquerors and victorious sons and daughters of God. We love you, God. We praise you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.